Father, we've come to the time in this service when we open your word and we expound its truth and its mine, its riches. Your word is a rich, rich treasure. And we thank you for the unsearchable riches of the glorious gospel that is in Christ Jesus. I ask you to give me clarity and give me good memory so that I will speak with grace and truth to the people at this time. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 5 begins with being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a strong Christological statement. It is a, a strong statement about the exchange that takes place in the provision of redemption. Romans 5 and 8 then tells us that God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, much more than, something greater than that fact, much more than being justified by His blood now, you don't hear much about blood these days, do you? you? Don't hear much about hell these days, do you? Preachers just don't preach on those subjects because I don't really register with congregations. But if you heard me preach last Sunday, there's a whole lot about those two subjects because I don't just call stuff out uh, that I don't want to preach because it's unpleasant. I didn't come to be pleasant. I, I came to be stirred, and I came for God to speak to me this morning. And sometimes when God speaks to me, He speaks wonderful, pleasant things more times than not. But sometimes He kind of speaks kind of firmly and in a disciplinary way. Sometimes He speaks in a revealing way. Being justified by His blood, we shall be, we shall be saved from wrath through Him that God has made a provision for us to escape the wrath and the judgment that sin brings upon all of us. That sin issue is a very real part of all of us in our relationship with God. The sin issue has to be addressed. I sometimes talk about the human condition. The human condition was described by John Calvin, number one, as total depravity. That means there's no way we can lift ourselves. That means no works of righteousness, no kind, charitable deeds. Nothing can bring about redemption but through faith in the Lord Jesus and what he did at Calvary's cross. We participate with him. There's a great book by uh, Carpenter that goes, His Part and Ours. It's about this laboring together with God in the process of redemption. If you work with God, he'll work with you. If you reach out to God, he'll reach out to you. If you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh unto you. It's a wonderful exchange there that takes place. And we're going to talk some today about how that exchange happens, how the Lord takes our place and puts us in his place. Boy, what a thought that is, that he becomes us and we become him. Ooh. And that all happens because of the process of justification. That means we've satisfied God's requirements for settlement of the sin debt that we owe. We've accepted what Jesus did at Calvary's cross as payment in full for the sins that are in our life. Hallelujah. One writer said we have it in the bank. When we get saved, it's just cash in the check. Amen. That's a pretty good statement, not altogether accurate, but it pretty well sums up what happens when we trust what Jesus did for us. It is reserved for us, eternal in the heavens. And the Bible said, thy word forever, O Lord, thy word is established in the heavens. Psalm 189. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord is established forever in the heavens. Why in the world is it established in the heavens? Because we should pray as it is in heaven, 
make it like that on earth. Amen. Make it like that on earth where God's word is, is revered. For if when we were enemies, if when we were enemies, Jesus Christ died for us, and when we were enemies, we were reconciled unto God by the death of his son. Now, that's hard for us to kind of get a grasp of and to realize that because the sin nature that was in us made us enemies against God. Well, Jesus said you're either for him or you're against him. There's no middle ground there. That everybody in this house is either or, every one of us. And if we're not for him and promoting him, then we're against him. And this scripture tells us when we were enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled unto God. Now, that's a great word, reconciled. Can you say it? Reconciled. Great word. I love that word because it means you've taken two alien forces. They're alienated, both of them. They have no fellowship, nothing, just two forces, and you reinstate them. You put them back together. That's what reconciliation is. It's a rejoining, a coming back to a former place or a former state in a relationship. In our relationship with God, he is reconciled unto us unto himself. By the reconciling grace of God, the reconciling mercy of God, and we are reconciled by God by the death of his son. Much more, much more than that, being reconciled, we shall also be saved by his life. Saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now that word atonement is the only time in the entire New Testament where it appears. At one meant, it says. Well, what else could you expect from reconciled people? That to be at one with God, at one with Christ, at one with the provision at one with the process, at one with all the things that pertain to, to God and his nature. Amen. You know, so many times when we talk about preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel is, is so many times we confuse it. It's not so much to make society better. It's not really all about that. You know, Haddon Spurgeon was one of the great preachers of the 18th century, there was a, a man that was named after him that uh, wrote a book about preaching. He uh, lectured in the chair in one of the great seminaries and a great Bible expository about preaching, and his name was Haddon. He made, made this statement. He said, I've heard thousands of sermons and messages in my life, but I may have heard 20 that really contained the true gospel. Boy, what a statement that was. Because he said it's not really about many of the things that we preach about. Many of the things that we talk about, uh, about holy living, and we talk about, about all of the, the, the things. He said, but salvation is really about this verse of Scripture that we're about to talk about in just a minute. It's uh, amazing that in tough times like these, people need a gospel, uh, a genuine, authentic gospel from the Lord Jesus. It's, it's, it's not really about morality. It's, it's not really about, about materialism. It's not really about to make you happy. The gospel is contained in that one verse there in 2 Corinthians 5.21, and it's about, He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that we through His poverty might be made rich. Boy, what a great verse that is. For He hath made Him to be sin for us. That's the one I want up there. For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness 
of God in him. Now those 15 words, those 15 Greek words contain the gospel. That is the gospel in a nutshell. If I was to tell you, give me one sentence that contains the gospel, that defines the gospel, that would be it. I said that would be it. If you search through the whole scriptures, if you want to get to the true fact and the true point of the true gospel, right there it is. For he hath made him, God hath made Jesus, to be sin for us. He was sinless. It said he knew no sin. He was not a sinner. He was a sinless man. He is the only human ever that hath committed no sin. But he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Boy, that's so powerful, isn't it? In other words, we swapped places with him. He became us and we became him. God was made him to be sin for us. Now, if instead of that scripture up there, we had our sins up on that screen. Boy, it got quiet, didn't it? If these screens scrolled every person in this room and put your sins up on that screen, talk about running out those doors. How embarrassing. How embarrassing. How traumatic for everybody to know your sin. That the veil was just pulled off and that before everybody, your sin, you would run out these doors embarrassed and shamed and so very devastated that everybody knew your sin. But Jesus doesn't run away. That's your sin. As devastating and embarrassing and shameful as it is, Jesus said, I'll be that. I'll be that. I'll take that upon me. I'll own that. Well, what about me? I'm the one that deserve judgment and wrath. Well, I'm going to swap places with you, and you're going to go to where I am, and I'm going to be your sin. He was made to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Why? Why would Jesus do that? That we might be made. He was made. We are made. He was made to be sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. I don't know if our minds can really get around that. I don't know. But in that, those 15 words, that is the true gospel right there. The fact that God initiated the redemptive provision. In other words, grace is God's idea. Grace and redemption and forgiveness is all God's idea. For God so loved the world that He gave. He made Him to be sin. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. These 
times that we're living in, I often say that a world that is in crisis needs a church that's in revival. A church, and Jesus said, when you go into all the world, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to find something to preach that won't offend anybody. And the Bible said in the last days there would be preachers that would have a tough time finding anything to preach. Why is that? He said because they would be teachers having itching ears and would turn away their hearts from the truth and would be turned unto fables. In other words, just make, tell me a feel-good story. Tell me something, put a good joke in the middle of it so I can laugh a little bit and we can have one at the end so I can go home laughing. When Isaiah found himself in the presence of God, he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6, he said, I saw the Lord. And I saw him high, lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And he said, and when I saw him, when I saw him, and I realized his sovereignty, I realized his omnipotence, I realized his glory and his majestic sovereignty. I realized that I was in the presence of the creator God. And he said, I fell on my face in, in the floor and I, I cried, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me for I am unclean. Brother, when you come in contact with this God, when the gospel is preached, that God is an awesome God who sits in the heavens above, that God is a gracious heavenly Father who cares about saving lost souls, that God is so awesome in His eternal reverence and eternal glory that the Bible said people are seen to fall in His presence. When Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, John said on the Isle of Patmos, I was in the... Spirit on the Lord's day. And when he got in the spirit, the Bible said, I see the Lord. I, I, I saw him. And he said he was in a glorified state. He said his hair is white like wool. And about his paps there's a golden girdle. And he's got a priestly robe on down to his feet. And his feet are his fine brass that is burnt in the furnace. And he said, when I saw him, I fell as a dead man. And he walked over to me and he laid his hand on my head. And he said, I am Alpha and I am Omega. I am the first and I am the last. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I am he that was dead. But behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I've got the key to death and hell and the grave. You see, God originally gave that key to Adam, put him in a garden, live forever, no disease, no heartache, no pain, no death, no funerals, no insurance to pay, no taxes to pay. Just live in the blessed presence of God forever and never have a care. Adam was pretty stupid. How in the world can you mess that up? Eternal joy, eternal bliss, eternal pleasure in the presence of Almighty God, and we mess that up. And because of sin, God said you've got to leave. No sin can dwell in His presence. You've got to leave, he said. And so the Bible said they departed. He said, because of this, he said, there's going to be a contention between the woman and the serpent that beguiled her. He said she would bruise the head of the serpent, but the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman. You know, the Bible talks about 
the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Do you know who the seed of a woman is? You've heard about the seed of a man. Only place ever in Scripture, he says, the seed of a woman. And what that speaks to is the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. Because there was never, never a conception as the result of sexual desire or pleasure. There was an act of the Holy Ghost. The angel said, the Holy Ghost shall overshadow you, and you will give forth a son, and that son shall be called the Most High, Son of the Most High. Isaiah said his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What's he coming for? He's coming back to get those keys. Adam had to give them up. Adam couldn't keep them. I said Adam couldn't keep them. And he had to give them up. The devil took them away from him. And the Bible said, as by one man's sin, death came upon all. Sin came into the world by one man's transgression, but by one man's obedience. Woo! Glory to God. Salvation has been extended to all of us. All of us through one man's obedience. That obedience of the Lord. Jesus Christ, the Bible said, he learned he obedience and he suffered without the gate. That he was the sacrificial offering, the propitiation for our sin. Can you believe that? That God so loved the world, he said, and I want you to get those keys. So when Jesus was supposedly in the grave, the Bible said he went down. He went down to a place called Hades. He went down to preach to prisoners of hope. He actually went to Sheol. That's a Hebrew name for prison. It's where righteous souls and spirits were being held. You see, there was a time when all righteous, all spirits went down. Wicked spirits went to Hades. Righteous holes in spirit, they went to Abraham's bosom. And the Bible said there was a great gulf, Luke 16, 21 through 26. A great gulf that separated them. And one could not pass over to the other and the other back. And the Bible said that Jesus came and preached, preached, preached. What did he preach? He preached the gospel. He preached to the prisoners of hope, the Bible said. Hallelujah. Can you believe the gatekeeper of hell? We know there's a gate down there, so there must have been a gatekeeper. Can you imagine him when he looked up and he saw Jesus coming? And he got on the radio and said, get Lucifer on the phone. <laughs> Lucifer, this is the front gate. There's a, somebody, a divine somebody on his way. And I, I don't think I'm going to be able to stop him. His garment is brilliant and sparkling and from his face nobody can stand to be in his presence and I, I don't know what he's got on his mind but whatever it is I can't stop him he's on his way can you see as he passes by station number one hello somebody back there at headquarters there's a man called Jesus. He's on his way. 
I can't stop him. There's nothing we can do. He's on his way. Get ready to meet him because he's on his way. And as Jesus walked into headquarters in hell, he says, give me those keys. Well, Brother Jerry, that's a whole lot of speculation. It's my sermon. I'll preach it the way I want. <laughs> Glory to God. And Jesus took the keys. And in that first chapter of Revelation 1 and 10, John said, when I saw him, his hair was white like wool, about his paps a golden girdle. And he said, I fell like a dead man, and he told me he was Alpha and he was Omega. And said, he's the beginning, he's the end, and he's got the keys in his hand. Where are those keys right now, Pastor? They are in heaven. They're in the presence of the throne. God himself has those keys. Glory be to God. Satan doesn't have them anymore. Jesus took them away from them. This exchange, it comes to place, and it takes place because God made him to be sin for us. In that very practical, ethical, pragmatic section of 2 Corinthians, that letter from the pen of Paul, it lets us know that God will go to any extent to redeem lost people. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then there's that scripture that just moves our heart. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8 and 9. And it says this. He was rich. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. That we, through his poverty, might be made rich. So there's this exchange that takes place. He becomes us, we become him. What are, Brother Jerry, some of those riches of Christ. Well, what Paul was really saying to this church that he's writing to, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you might be, through his poverty, might be made rich. What was going on right there was there was a famine in Jerusalem, and there was a hardship there. You know, many of the people that went to Jerusalem to the Feast of the Tabernacles they heard the gospel and they heard all the things. And the fact, the Bible said great things were happening in, in Jerusalem. But as it happened, well, on the day of Pentecost, you know, 3,000 souls got saved and baptized and they were added to the church. And we know that there were uh, some prominent people there. James was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And we also learned that they were in the midst of a very tough time of oppression from the Romans, insomuch that if anybody had anything and the Romans wanted it, they just took it because they were ruling in the province at that time. Well, in Jerusalem, there were people that were starving. There were people that were under very tough conditions. And as Paul went about, in fact, he talks about going to Macedonia. And there were three churches in Macedonia. One was the a Philippian church, the other was the Thessalonian church, and the other was the Berean church. Thank God for the Bereans. We'll get Don to preach about the Bereans one time. The Bereans, the Bible said, were of a more excellent, better church members than Thessalonians. He said those Thessalonians were of the baser sort. Is that in the Bible, brother? Yeah, just read it. Just read it. He said those people in Thessalonica were of the baser sort, of whom are Philetus and Hermogenes and Hymenaeus. 
And he said, and their word doth eat as a canker. A canker is a sore. Their word doth eat as a canker, and they have destroyed the faith of some, he said. And concerning their faith have made shipwreck. Great Lord caused some folks to lose out with God. Isn't that horrible? Isn't that horrible? No wonder the Bible called them baser sort. The Bereans, the Bible, were more excellent, though, and very charitable. They loved to give over Berea. Boy, what givers they were. And Paul talks about that in this letter to the Corinthians when he's talking about this whole issue of caring and exchange and God letting Jesus pay the debt for us and us swapping places with him. That's right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of that discussion about Paul's telling him, when I come, said, make sure you got all your offering together. Now, he, he asked him, he said, you used to give, you started real good, but for some reason, you quit giving. And he said, I'm coming by to see you. Don't know when it's going to be because my itinerary is tough. But he said, when I get there, he said, I'll take up the offerings that you've started giving already now, and I'll take them to Jerusalem with me when I go. Hallelujah! And then he gave them, he gave them the order of how, how they should do it. He said, do it on the first day of the week. He said, do it on the first day of the week. Do it at church. Take up the collection when you're at church. Is this right, Don? While you're at church and do it once a week as the Lord has prospered you. And he said, every man giving out of his own heart as the Lord hath prospered him. So he didn't give an amount. He just said, as the Lord hath prospered you. And that's a process that Christian churches follow till this day. That's in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2. That every time when you come to church, you ought to bring an offering. Amen. Every pastor ought to know that verse and quote it often. He was talking to them in that discussion about how they were to be a church that cares about other people. And right smack dab in the middle of that, he made use of that metaphor in that the church at Jerusalem needed help and the Gentile churches, glory to God, there's a lot of metaphor in this. The Gentile churches, he was asking the Gentile churches to raise a collection that they could send it to the poor saints, impoverished saints at Jerusalem. And he just took advantage of that situation. He said, that's kind of like it is with me. God hath made me to be sin for you, and God has made me leave the riches of heaven and to take on the poverty of a lost spiritual condition, amen, to swap places with you. Isn't that great? Do you remember in the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 that the Bible said when he came to the place where the man was in the ditch, he said he was riding on his beast and that he got down off of his beast and he got down in the ditch and he poured in the oil and he scrubbed with the wine and he dipped the bandages and then he put him on his beast and he started walking. You see how he swapped places with him? When he came, he was riding. When he left, he was walking. He exchanged places. Hey, that's what Jesus does with every one of us. He swaps places with us. Now, sometimes we overcook that, that thing of the poverty of Jesus. Yes, I know the Luke 9, 58, that the foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man hath no place to lay his head. Sometimes we, we, we think, that that was the poverty of, of, of Jesus, and we overstated by choice. They didn't have minivans back then, and they didn't have RVs. So the way they traveled was these two right here. They walked. Wow. For three years, they walked. Wow. I bet they were in good shape. 
They walked to all of the places where they went. You know, well, Brother Jerry, you know, he was laid in a manger when he was born because they were so poor. Well, I don't know if they were so poor. Don't know they were all that poor. He had a business. Is in Nazareth. And he had a carpenter shop. I don't know if he made furniture, if he made beds, or made yoke for oxygen. Oxen? Oxygen. How about that? Oxen. And was very successful. And was even known among people in the area that Joseph was a carpenter and had, had a living at least and owned a house. And that's more than a lot of folks could say. Well, they, they had to go to the stable because it wouldn't let them. All I know about that is they said there was no room in the inn. He must have tried the inn first to find out there was no room. If he uh, tried the inn first, he must have had a credit card. <laughs> he was going to pay for it some way, wasn't he? If he walked in and said, I want to spend a night in your hotel... I'm sure he had some way of paying for it. So I don't know that they slept in a, a, a cave because uh, couldn't afford it. I don't know that. It might be that they just had no room in the inn. I know at one time the, the Bible said that Nicodemus or one of those people called Jesus, is he not the carpenter? Yeah. Is he not the carpenter's son? Well, they must have known that he did something. And I'm sure he didn't do it for nothing. So I don't know that he was always all as impoverished as we say he is because it might be that he chose that. It might be that he chose to live the life that he did, those three years of ministry. It might have been that he, he said that's a, a, a more pragmatic way, a more realistic way for me to get the point across than sitting on a throne somewhere or in some high lofty position. It would be better if I'm just a, a, a peasant. He might have chose that. So I, I, I know that he was rich, but for your sakes he became poor. What were the riches what were the riches, Brother Jerry, that Jesus had? Well, see, I don't think that that's all materialistic. I think it's more spiritual than it is physical. I think the riches of Jesus Christ are in the glory of His sovereignty. I think the riches of Jesus Christ is His eternal existence as the Son of the living God. I believe that Jesus, the eternal Son, is eternal because if He is not eternal, then He is not God. I believe that all that God is, Jesus is. I believe that Jesus shares all of the riches and the glory of the Father. I, I believe that Jesus sat in a worshipful place. I believe Jesus was worshipped. I believe that Jesus sat in a place of glory and honor and reverence. I believe that Jesus was a, a Jesus of all power. I believe he was rich in power. The Bible said, but God who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us. I believe he was rich in compassion. I believe he was rich in mercy and great love for us insomuch that while we were sinners he died for us and he left he left left all of those riches of heaven and condescended condescended what does that mean the bible says it it literally means that he emptied himself. He thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, but he emptied himself. 
emptied himself. Emptied himself. That's Hebrews chapter 2. He emptied himself. He left his existence in heaven and put on human flesh. John 1, 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Son of God. You see, when He became sin for us, He assumed all of the human condition that was ours. He assumed all of humanity. Arius, the heretic in the third century, tried to make that he was not God because he had a human soul. And the Apostles' Creed was developed from the Nicene Council that he is every much God and every much man. He is as much God as God is God. And he is as much man as Jerry Irwin is a man. Hallelujah. In fact, you might call him the God-man. The God-man. He was every bit God and he was every bit man. Glory to God. You hear me say it so many times. As God. He said, Lazarus, come forth. As a man, he stood at the mouth of that grave and he wept. But as God, he said, come forth. As a man, he thirsts. But as God, he said, if any man drink of the water, I give him, he'll never thirst again. As a man, he, he felt all of the human condition of, of trauma and the things that, when, as, as a man, Father, let this cup pass from me, but as God, nevertheless, thy will be done. As God, he died for all of us and died in our place and became the propitiation. God has made him the propitiation for every one of us that we should be made the righteousness of God. Come on, Olivia, and help me quit. He was rich, but for your sakes he became poor. Let me finish this and then we'll be through. False Christianity cults teach that he is an angel or that he's an emanation, that he's a demigod or a sub-god, a human god, or astrological god, whatever they think. Anything other than he is the eternal God is untrue. Hallelujah! Anything that says he is anything else but the eternal God, it's not just enough to say he's the pre-existent God or he is the existential God. He inhabits eternity. From eternity to eternity, he is God. He is the way that is made perfect. He is the, the answer to all of the questions about Christology and all the arguments about Christology. Jesus, He's as rich as God is rich. Rich as God is rich. You know, Micah 5 and 2 said, But as for you, Bethlehem, though you're the smallest among all the clans of Judah, just a small village, from you one will go forth to be the ruler in Israel. But listen to this, whose goings are from long ago and from the days of eternity. In Isaiah 9, he says, The name that child everlasting father, the father of eternity. John 1, he is the word of God. When the worlds were formed and the worlds were framed, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. John 8, verse 58, Before Abraham was born, I am. John 17, 5, he says, Restore me to the glory I had with you before the world began. John 10 and 30 says, I and the Father are one. Colossians 1, He is the premier one. He's the supreme one. He is the one above all others who is called the image or the representation of the invisible God. Colossians 2 and 9, In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. He's every bit God and He's every bit man. And as He hung on that cross, He spoke seven cross sayings. 
the last of which was, it is finished. It is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. It is. What, what is that it? That process of me swapping places with you. Of me being your sin. And instead of putting it on a screen, I'll go and put it on a cross. And when he put my sin on that cross, and he bartered for me eternal redemption, praise God, what a day, glorious day that was. What a time, what an event that was for me. It really, really was. All the great apologists, etymologists, they all agree that there is one that beareth record in heaven, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the heart of the gospel. And the fact that he was made to be sin for us is the heart of the gospel. Stand with me, please. What a difficult message. <laughs> you know why the devil will fight you harder on preaching about Jesus than anything else? It's because he knows it will do you more good than anything else. Yeah. I've never struggled so in my life to just get my mind to think about what I was preaching. I don't usually have that problem. But boy, I fought my way through that one. It wasn't your fault. It's because there's an adversary. And there is an enemy that hates it that Jesus took your place. There's an enemy of our souls that despises the fact that an exchange took place. And he was made you, and you were promoted to him. But you got the riches, and he got the poverty. Boy, what a deal that is. What a deal that you'd think that churches would be full, Brother Larry. You'd think people would be, have that parking lot running over. There ought to be people directing traffic out there for a bargain like God gives. God says, if you'll come in and trust my son Jesus, if you'll accept him as payment in full and accept him as my offer that I'm extending to you, here's Jesus. Take Jesus. You can have life. You can have eternal life. You can have forgiveness of sin. Take Jesus. How do you walk away from that? How do you walk away from that? There's protection, there's care, there's blessing, there's love in Jesus. Jesus never fails. I said, Jesus never fails. He really is. Started slow, but it finally got up there to full speed. We're a little sluggish today, but I want to tell you something. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that took your place than he that's trying to steal it from you. Greater is our Christ. Greater is our God than the adversary of our souls. The gospel, if our gospel be hid, if our gospel be hid, thank you, Holy Ghost. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. If our gospel be hid, boy, I'm going to whoop me up a sermon on the hidden gospel. If our gospel be hid, it is hid unto them that are lost. In whom? In whom? Lost people, listen to this. In whom? The God of this world 
Did you know this world's got a God? Oh, well, y'all better sit down and let me go up and preach a little bit more if you don't know this world's got a God. This world has a God. The God of this world, listen to what he's done, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. You mean lost people have blinders? Listen to that scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind. That's bad enough to have blind eyes, but blind brain. I said a blind brain is really bad. Hath blinded the mind of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them that they might be saved. Are you telling me, Pastor, that if the light ever gets to someone, they'll get saved? If the light ever gets past those blinders, if the light can ever penetrate through those blinders, what is it like to wear blinders that you can't see the light of the gospel? Oh, I'm so glad the Lord let me get to a place and hear a message and be raised around people that knew about the light of the gospel of Christ. And thank you, God, that I didn't allow the devil to blind my mind to the light of the gospel. Amen. There's a new way for you to pray. Your lost loved ones, your cousins, your, 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 your family, your friends down the street, your neighbor, whoever. God, remove that blinder from his mind. God, take those blinders off my son. Lord, take those blinders off my daughter. God, take those blinders off of my friend so that they can see. Oh, God, help us to see. Thank you, Jesus, for all you mean to us. Thank you for the glorious gospel of a saving God. Now I ask you now, oh, Lord, to touch us as we leave this place. This world needs revival. This world needs some people that have the blinders taken off, that know in whom they have believed, that know that they know that they know that their sins are under the blood of Jesus. I thank you for that today, and I ask you, God, to go with us and let us be salt and light in this earth. And may we bring souls, O oh Lord, bearing precious seed. Let us bring souls. Come and rejoice in bringing souls. That's our prayer in departing from your house today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And everybody said amen. 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 God go with you and God bless you is our prayer.